All right, guys, I'm gonna be honest. I am jacked on coffee right now, okay? So, like, this is gonna be really interesting. I tried this new blend. Uh, what is it called? Uh, Black Rifle Coffee. You guys ever heard of that? Bro, like, be careful, okay? So we're gonna see what happens here, but if you're brand new here, very warm welcome to you. Stoked that you're with us, and we're just gonna see what happens today. I don't know, we'll see, it'll be interesting. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open with me to Acts chapter eight. Uh, this is really gonna be kind of part two of the message last week, so to give you some context from what happened last Sunday is we got a guy named Philip who was a follower of Jesus, and he's breaking into Samaria, which is a region north of Jerusalem, which is kind of like the religious epicenter of Jesus's day. And uh, he's bringing the good news of Jesus to a people that have never heard about Jesus before. And so people are getting saved. They're giving their lives to Jesus. People are getting healed. Uh, people are getting set free from demonic oppression and possession in their lives. God is doing an amazing work. And it says in verse eight that there was much joy in that city. And so last week we talked about how this is your purpose, guys. Listen, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, the call of God on your life is to leave joy wherever you go. It's actually that joy would happen in the context of the city because you are present and you are involved. And listen, you are not going to do that if you're just bummed out and struggling through life all the time, right? And so this whole walk of faith of Christianity is learning how to become a person of the Spirit of God, living underneath His influence and becoming a person that is absolutely dominated and saturated by the joy of Jesus. This is the call of God on your life. And so, uh, you know, this last week, this was awesome. So I told you guys last week, I opened up a business this, this year. It's been amazing. And uh, Jason Hubbard preached a couple weeks ago on widows and being a people that actually care for people that are struggling and suffering in our community. And so I get a call from uh, uh, this guy who's working with me. His name's Andrew. He goes to church here. I love this dude so much this last Tuesday. And he's like, hey man, so I was talking to this gal. We're out of property. He's doing some stuff. He's helping her out. And uh, we're, she, we're working for her. And all of a sudden he, he texts me and he's like, so by the way, she's a widow and I want to do the job for free. And so the initial reaction of my heart, right, is what? It's who's paying for this, bro? Is it you or is it me, right? Because the first motivation of my heart is always right, ladies and gentlemen, don't judge me. But anyways, he's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay for it because my heart just breaks for this, this lady and, uh, and I'm gonna take care of it. So he does, he totally, he works for her and then pays for her job, guys, and talks to her about Jesus, loves on her, leaves there, goes and gets some flowers and a card and brings it back to her. Come on, how legit is that? What's the point, guys? We can do this. We can do this. It is not that hard to actually be used by God to do amazing things in the context of the city around us. There was joy in the city because the church of Jesus showed up. It's this idea, ladies and gentlemen, that Christianity was never meant to exist as a subculture within culture that ever actually interacts with the world around it. Right, And this is what we've done. We've got Christian music, we've got Christian music, uh, movies and clubs, and most of them suck, right? Like, can we just be real? Like, most of them are just a total disaster. And, and, and we, we can kind of huddle up and try to protect ourselves from the world around us. In fact, I remember I heard this story recently uh, of this church that they were doing this, like, soccer rec league or whatever, and, uh, you know, they had, they had this one spot on the team that was reserved for this, this person that they called the witness player. And so it's this person that doesn't know Jesus, and they bring them onto the team and they play soccer, whatever. And so they're doing this one game and the witness player guy, you know, he takes a whatever shot. I don't know what you 
say in soccer, it's a ridiculous sport anyways. And so he does something and he totally messes up, right? And in the middle of the game, he just lets out this F-bomb. He's like, F, you know, and like all the people in the stands and both teams are like, oh my goodness, right? And moms are like, hey, little Johnny, let me cover your ears. This is a church rec soccer league. And so in the middle of the whole thing, he stops and he's like, hey guys, it's okay. I'm the witness player, right? Like, this is kind of what we do, guys. But see, this is, this is Acts chapter eight, verse eight. It's a giant critique on that and saying, listen, you're actually called to be deeply present and involved in the life of the city. It's this idea of salt and light and leaven. Jesus says that you're the salt of the earth. Don't just be a Christian here in this room, but out beyond these walls also, we have a city that needs Jesus and you becoming a person of the spirit and being willing to open your mouth is the answer. And we can do this. And so this is the call of God on us as the church, as his people. And so that was last week. And so today's gonna be kind of part two of Philip and Samaria. And we're gonna focus in on this guy named Simon today who's got a really interesting story. And uh, it's this question today of where am I actually going to find power, right? Like I think one of the basic desires of us as human beings is we are constantly looking for power. We want to be more powerful. Where can I find power? Maybe you feel powerless right now to your circumstances in life, to addictions that you're facing. You're hopeless to your current reality. Whatever. One of our basic desires as human beings is this desire for power. And depending on your bent as a person, you're going to look for it in different areas. You're going to look for it in education, in fame, in money, in beauty, in sex, in pleasure, in whatever it is. And here's the reason why we want power, ladies and gentlemen, is because it gives you the illusion of control, right? And so if I have power, I can at least trick myself into thinking that I have some sort of control in the context of my life. But here's the reality. If you've been alive for any length of time, what is one thing that life has taught you? I or the circumstances that are surrounding both of those things. The reality of life is you cannot actually control a whole lot, at least things that really matter ultimately, right? Like when you live and when you die, for instance, okay? So uh, that's, that's the point. We don't, we don't actually, we can't control much. No amount of money and power in the world can stop death in your life. And in fact, one of the most uh, recent tragedies of the last couple years was Kobe Bryant, his daughter dying in the helicopter. Dude in the helicopter crash, dude had all the money, all the fame, access to the best doctors in the world, and it didn't help him at all to change the circumstances of that day. And this is the reality of life. You can't control much. In a split second, man, think about this. Everything could be over for you. In a split second, and we don't like that, so we search for power, but in the end, all the power in the world can't shield you from death, excuse me. So you've got this guy named Simon, and so what he did is he was looking for power, right? Because he's a person, he's looking for power, and where he turned was really interesting. He turned to the occult. He turned to witchcraft as a source of power, and, and it worked, and he's doing stuff, and people are amazed, and look at this, verses nine through 13. It says this, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, in Acts chapter eight, saying that he himself was somebody great, and they all paid attention 
question to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they, when he, when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Look at verse 10, right? This guy turns to the occult, to witchcraft. He's amazing the people. And it says that the people were around Simon were like, this dude is the power of God that is called great. Okay, now here's the deal about what he was doing, guys. This is not Chris Angel mind freak status like magic, right? This is not David Blaine like, what's up, player? I got your card and your watch and your, you know, like wallet and your keys and your girlfriend's number and you just stood there like an idiot, right? Like that is not what we're talking about here. This is real life legitimate witchcraft, which is a thing, by the way, and believe it or not, at Washington State, Whatcom County, and in fact, Bellingham is one of the leading areas for witch covens in the United States of America, and this is right in our own backyard, and this is something that we're really not aware of and that we don't really talk about. I remember this one time uh, at a local house of prayer, Light of the World Prayer Center, who we are so blessed to have in our backyard here at our church now. Uh, I, I got saved there when I was 19 years old, and so all I knew right away in God was like, like, let's pray, let's seek Jesus, let's encounter his presence, so we were, we'd be up all night praying in these prayer meetings, right? And it was just amazing. God was doing awesome stuff. And we would come outside and there would literally be witches in the front yard cursing us, like literally calling down curses and doing like spells and whatever uh, against us and against the church and against the prison. It was crazy, dude. And, and so this is, this is very real and very much a reality among us here in our city. In fact, I remember this one time uh, I, I had a buddy several years ago here locally who had a street ministry. And so we would go downtown Bellingham on Friday night and we'd talk to people about Jesus and we'd pray for him. We saw God do some amazing things. And we ended up randomly in conversation with this guy who was a self-proclaimed warlock, okay? So he's, we're talk, he's this big, like 250 pound guy, dude. He looks like he could eat me for breakfast, all right? It's just, and, and he's a warlock, okay? So we're, we're talking to him and some of you are freaking out. We're going here, bro. Just buckle up, boys and girls. This is gonna be a long ride today, but it's gonna be great. We need to talk about this. And so he's literally standing there and he's talking about all the stuff that he's done and whatever and like, you know, like where he's at and the stages of occult whatever in our city and it was crazy and so we're talking to him, we're just loving on him and here's the thing about people that are in this category, guys, you will not be able to effectively share Jesus outside of expressions of power and Jesus does not seem to be too intimidated by that, right? It's awesome. I love what God does and so we're standing there, we're talking to this guy and then all of a sudden my buddy uh, who loves Jesus, he reaches out to this guy's stomach and he puts his hand in a very specific spot and he's like, what happened right here? And this big old warlock, 250 pound guy, he's, his eyes get really big and he steps back and he's like, what are you talking about, man? And my buddy was like, I feel like Jesus is saying something traumatic happened to you right here and he wants to heal it. And so this dude, he just begins to tear up and he's like, man, I was involved in gang activity and whatever and all this stuff and I got stabbed in my stomach right there and it's this place that I carry all this trauma and brokenness in my life and I have nerve damage from it. And literally, we pray for him and Jesus heals the guy on the spot of all the nerve damage. He starts freaking out, he's weeping. Why? Because he's coming in contact with everything 
that he was ever looking for in the occult and the power of God eclipsed the fascination of the power of the occult, right? And this is exactly, guys, what's happening in Acts chapter eight. Literally, you have Simon the magician who's coming in contact with the power of God and it's eclipsing his fascination for everything that he had experienced beforehand. That's what's going on. And so this is, this is, this is actually exactly what's happening in our text. And here's what you have to understand about witchcraft, okay? So dark magic, light magic, okay? If this is you, it's all demonic. It's all, uh, you, you, are, you are messing around with the demonic realm and partnering with their ministry. They hate you. They do not like you. They will take you and use you, abuse you, and discard you and move on to the next person. These are, these are the realities that you're actually working with. And so for those of us that are, you know, you go to the psychics, you do the palm reading, you do the, you know, whatever else, you got the stones, the gems, I don't know, whatever crazy stuff that you're involved in, right? You are literally opening yourself up to the influence of the demonic. I know Christians, man, Christians, who read their horoscopes religiously, right? And, and you got faith to believe for your horoscope to come to pass. But dude, how about believing the promises of God? Like, how about you open up your Bible and you come in contact with the promises of Jesus and begin to claim those over your life, what you're going to find is the power of Jesus eclipses all of those realities, horoscopes, all that sort of stuff, because he is so much better. You are looking for the power of the spirit and you're selling out for a fraud, man. That's what's happening. I know this is real for people, man. You're in the Simon category. I've talked to people here at our church that have, we've seen give their lives to Jesus and get baptized. And what happens is right afterwards, they're coming out of the occult and they just sink deep into this depression. Uh, they've, they've got like horrible night terrors that happen. Disease hits them. Crazy stuff happens. They've been baptized. They're trying to follow Jesus, but everything's going like chaotic around them and they don't know why. And so we'll just ask them, have you, get, have you like actually gotten rid of all of your stuff from your previous way of life? You know, and they're like, no, well, I've, I've still got the book. I've still got the gems, the stones, or whatever. And so what we'll do is we'll have them actually get rid of them, remove them from their house, and this stuff breaks off. Why? I know we don't like this, guys, because we are very intelligent Western people, right? And we believe in naturalism. You believe in a guy that rose from the dead, okay? So stick with me here, right? There are demonic spirits that are actually attached to these things and you need to get rid of them and remove them from your home. And so, you know, and then what happens is peace comes back. It's amazing how this stuff works. And so maybe, okay, maybe you're here and you're just like totally checked out and you're like, I'm never coming back here again. Please come back here again, all right? Uh, we love you. But maybe you're here. Let me hit your life for a second. Maybe you're here and you're not looking for power in the Simon sense in the, you know, Voldemort, Harry Potter sense of the word power, but you're looking for power in the context of how we as individuals in the Western world look for it. You're looking for power from within. It's this idea of self-actualism. You know, literally what we've got is the most powerful athletes across the entire globe facing off against each other for the gold, the gold medal, which is the position of I am the best in the world, right? It is a position of power. You know, for me personally, I was a swimmer back in high school. I always tell people because I couldn't do anything else. Uh, so I swam. And uh, every time swimming comes around in the Olympics, it's like, dude, I get all this motivation to get back in the pool again. And you got Caleb Dressel, who's this absolute beast this last year. He's just slamming gold medals for breakfast. He does amazing, right? And so I get motivation to get back in the pool again, right? And then what happens is I get, you know, all stoked and like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get back in shape. I'm gonna go at this. I'm gonna be the next gold medalist, man. And you know, and then I remember, oh shoot, I'm 5'10", and uh, literally, 
I don't have the gene pool to do this, okay? And so, and so I stop, and this is what happens, guys. When you make yourself your own God, when you pull the power from within, there's gonna come a day when you get weak and you die, and somebody overtakes you, and now you're in their shadow, right? This is class. Michael Phelps, right? Now you got Caleb Dressel. Everybody's like, Michael who, right? And this is the point, right? And I'm not saying don't focus on you know, personal development and being the best that you could possibly be, but what I am saying is don't make a God out of yourself because you will fail yourself. And then the question is, then what? It will not last. And so this is where Jesus, man, this is so crazy. He scandalizes our view of power. And you know what Jesus says in regard to power? Basically says, you guys got, you have it all wrong, number one. Number two, you wanna be a truly powerful person? You want power? You want influence? You wanna be strong? It doesn't look like asserting yourself over, over, over other people. It doesn't look like grabbing at it and, and you know, scraping ahead in life and taking it for yourself. The truly powerful are the servants. The truly powerful are the people who live in an, in a, in an arena of self-sacrifice and of self-giving love. The ones that are truly powerful are the lowly. So you've got, in Mark chapter 10, this is a fascinating moment in the life of Jesus and his disciples. You've got James and John, and uh, they come to Jesus, and basically they come with this request, and they're like, Lord, let us sit at your right and your left hand in your kingdom, right? What are they saying? We want positions of power. We wanna be at your right right and your left hand. We want to be awesome. We want to influence. We want to lead. We want other people to bow down to us like we're something awesome. And Jesus's response is so great. I love this. He doesn't rebuke them, right? It's fascinating. Jesus doesn't actually rebuke them for wanting influence and power, but what he does is he, he corrects them. And he says, listen, like you, 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 if you want to be great, you have to learn to be a servant. And if any among you would be first, let him actually become slave of all. And then Jesus finishes off in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, and he says this, for, for even the son of man, Jesus speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? Here's what you need to understand about Jesus, guys, in regard to power. He took the throne of ultimate authority and power through self-sacrifice and self-giving love. Literally, laying down his life for fallen, broken humanity. John chapter 13, before Jesus was betrayed and crucified, he's got his disciples around the table. They're celebrating the Passover meal together. And before they begin, he gets down on his hands and feet. God incarnate gets down on his hands and feet, takes off his outer robe. If anybody would have walked into the room contextually in Jesus's day, they would have thought that he was the slave, the servant of the house, just by how he looked. And he gets down and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And he essentially comes to Peter and he says, Peter, I'm gonna wash your feet. And Peter rebukes him and he's like, no, you're not. Like, I need, I need to wash your feet. You're Jesus. This is backwards. I don't have a category for this. You don't serve me. I serve you. And Jesus basically, his response to Peter is, shut up. I'm the boss. This is how it's gonna be. And so he, he serves Peter. And guys, this is the reality. When you come in contact with the servant ministry of Jesus, this is when everything in your life begins to change. Because here's what we, here's what we do as Christians. I've seen this happen. And this will screw you up for the rest of your life and why your Christianity sucks if this is you. Because you thought this whole thing was about you serving God. First. And you mess up 
and you suck at it. And so you condemn yourself and you open up yourself to the accusation of the enemy and you're not serving enough, you're not doing enough, you're not good enough, whatever. And that's to miss the whole point, guys. The first move of the gospel is literally Jesus moving on you when you are at your broken state, when you're steeped and saturated in sin and your rebellion and your brokenness and, and you know the middle finger that you extended to God while you were pulling power from within and saying, I could be my own God. The first move of the gospel is Jesus Jesus literally coming with his blood and washing you clean. This is about Jesus coming and serving you first. And then you know, then you, know what, you know what happens? You know what happens when you live into that reality? All of a sudden you want to serve him more. And guys, this is the reality of my life. He keeps getting better. Can I get an amen from somebody in church today? Literally every single day of my life, Jesus keeps getting better. He keeps getting more amazing. He keeps getting more beautiful. He keeps getting more altogether lovely and satisfying. And when I come in contact with the goodness of God and the face of Jesus, who he really is, his true character, his true nature, everything in my life begins to change. And I come out of that saying, Jesus, I want to give you more. Like, I wish I had more to give you than my life. This is what happens when you come in contact with the true Jesus, man, not the Jesus that you grew up hearing about, not the Jesus that was wagging his finger at you and saying, you need to shape up or you ship out or I'm done with you. This is the heart of God in regard to your life. And you know what happens also when you come in contact with Jesus as servant, right? He says, take my yoke upon you. I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. You know what it does? It heals that lust for power. This is what it does. It, 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 because what are you looking for with power? The same thing that Simon was looking for. We wanna be elevated above other people's. We wanna prove that we're something because you're insecure, Right? Come on, man. I'm like, this is, how, this is how it works, right? Because we're insecure. And, and you know, Simon needs his ego stroked. because We love to be elevated above other people because we have daddy issues and we need to feel valued. And so you know, what's fascinating to me is you study the most famous and accomplished people on the face of the planet, who we would say are the most famous and accomplished people, and you find out like, there comes a point when they become just as unfulfilled as you and everybody else, right? Justin Bieber, for example, right? love what God is doing in his life. It's awesome, so legit. He's got this one lyric in this one song he came out with recently, and he says this, I had everything in life that people strive for. Everything, right? Like most famous dude on the face of the planet, women throwing themselves at him since he was 17, all the money, all the toys, parties, whatever. He's the dude, right? And, and then the next line is just to ask the question, what am I actually alive for? What's he saying? There's something missing. There's something off. Like it's, it, it didn't actually fulfill its promise to me, these areas of power and of influence. And th there's something missing. And Jesus heals that by saying, listen, the affirmation and attention you can get from people is a far lesser reality than me actually shouting your name before the Father, before God's affirmation. It's a far lesser reality than what Jesus in your life and the gospel. Here's the point. The desire for power is not a bad thing. I really think that God actually put that there. But here's the nuance. It's where are you looking for it and why do you want it? Where are you looking for power and why do you actually want it? Jesus says, Acts chapter one, I think it's verse eight, you will be endued with power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes. Power is literally the promise. God's will for your life is not to be a struggling porn addict forever, right? 
It's not his will. It's not his plan. It's not to struggle with your anger issues forever. It's not to never see miracles. God's will for you is to be clothed with power from on high. And here's the deal, guys. I want, I want that. Like, literally, I want that. Jesus says it. Taylor, you're going to be clothed with power. I want that. And I want that for our church. I want to lay my hands on sick people and see them healed. I want to lay hands on people and see them filled with the Spirit and get their lives transformed. But the question is, where is the source of power? Is that going to come from me? Is that going to come from you? No. Look at verse 12 here in Acts chapter 8. This is so good. It says this, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Guys, that is the source of power. It's the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, right? This is the gospel, right? And so even you could be here and you're not, maybe you're not a Christian stoked that you're here with us today. We love you. So thankful that you're here with us. But you've probably heard that word gospel used synonymously with Christianity. The word in its original Greek context means news that causes great joy, right? And this is very different than good advice. Good advice says you have to do this and this and this, and then this will be the outcome. Good news says this is what's been a done. This is what has been done independently of you that changes you for the rest of your life, right? Good advice, the weight is on you. Good news, the weight is on Jesus. You get it? changes everything. Okay, so we've got the good news about the kingdom of God and of Jesus, And this is news that causes great joy. Paul in Romans chapter one, he says about the gospel, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Listen, the gospel doesn't just have power. The gospel is the power of God. There is power in the good news of the kingdom and of Jesus to totally transform and change your life. What what does this mean? All right, so let's, let's bring it all the way down to the realm of what we can understand. We are all asking the question, what has gone wrong in the world? Right? You look around, you see chaos, you see crazy, you see COVID, you see, you know, the real estate market just insane here in Whatcom County, right? Like you see all of this chaos and wars and devastations and tragedies. And we're all asking the question, what has gone wrong in the world? But secondly, the second question that we have is what will actually put it right? The gospel says that something has gone, holy, something has gone horribly wrong. But there is a king and his name is Jesus and he lived and he died and he ascended and he's coming back one day to right every wrong and you can get in on that by repentance and faith. Repentance of sin and faith in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. But here's the thing, why this is good news is this isn't just believe in Jesus and you go to a happy place when you die. You go to the kingdom of God when you die. You float away and you become a fat little baby with a harp and you float around and all it's good, right? Like, because who wants to be a fat baby floating around in a cloud playing a harp? You know, like nobody. This isn't about that. This is about the kingdom reign of Jesus right now, guys, over sin and over sickness and over death and over the demonic realm and over hell. Breaking out among us right now. This is what Jesus says when he shows up. He's like, hey, here's the good news of the kingdom of God, right? It's here. It's at hand what Jesus says. And Philip's proving it, right? Jesus ascended and the kingdom of God is still advancing, guys. People are still experiencing the filling of the spirit, forgiveness of sin, life transformation, deliverance from demonic oppression, right? This is the kingdom is still advancing. It's actually here. The kingdom reign of Jesus Christ is here and present and advancing right now. Now, am I saying everybody's gonna get healed every time? No, but I am saying Jesus teaches us to 
to pray your kingdom come right now. Go read the Sermon on the Mount. He literally teaches us to pray that. This isn't like come someday out when you decide to come back. But no, literally right now, Jesus, we want to see your kingdom reign advance among us right now. And literally, man, here's the thing. In regard to pornography, I promise you, none of the angels, living creatures, or departed saints that are surrounding the throne of Jesus have any issue not looking at porn right now, okay? No issue. Why? Because they're face to face with Jesus, who is the true beauty. It's not even a thought. And guys, this is, the, this, is, this is your exit from pornography as you come in contact with the beauty of Jesus. And that's when everything begins to change and you become fascinated with him. First Corinthians chapter four, verse 20, Paul says, the kingdom of heaven is not of talk, but of power. And I wanna tell you today that there is a king his name is Jesus, and he has authority and power to forgive you of your sin right now. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care about what's happening in your heart and your mind right now. There is power in Jesus to forgive you, to restore you, to cleanse you, to wash you, to heal you, to set you free from your addictions, to break you out of depression, to heal your body. There is power in the advancing kingdom of God to totally transform your life right now. You can Get a little bit excited about that, guys, if you wouldn't mind here. That's awesome. This is what he's doing among us right now. And here's the thing about the kingdom of God, the good news. What Acts does on every single page is, is Luke, is, he's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit is a part of the good news package, right? And so some denominations of Christianity, uh, let me just do some church commentary here for a second. What we've done is we've reduced the Trinity to Father, Son, and Holy Bible, Many of you grew up in that. Now, Bible, is it super important? Jesus says, John 8, 31, abide in my word and you're truly my disciples, meaning like you have to have a relationship with Jesus through the word of God. But here's the point. Literally, Jesus in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, meaning to become a Christian is to be brought into the very center of the life of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's to be absolutely a person saturated by, dominated by, and filled with living underneath the influence of the Spirit of Jesus. This is your birthright as a born-again follower of Jesus. Look at, look at verses 14 through 17 with me here in Acts chapter 8. It says this, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, right? So we've got people in Samaria that are responding to the good news of Jesus. They're water baptized. They're following Jesus. It says, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them. Underline that in your Bible, right? The, he, he, the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you do a study through the book of Acts, you find that that refers to water baptism. Verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So this is like super important for the first century church leaders, right? You got the gospel exploding into these other areas beyond Jerusalem. And so they, they hear about it and then they send Peter and John to show up and make sure that these guys had actually received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And why this was so critical to these first century church leaders is because they're back then, guys, there was so much pressure against the church, right? Like there's false teachers, there's persecution, literally, 
They had to be a people dominated by the Spirit of God to keep this thing from blowing up. Like, the church of Jesus could not survive unless its people were surrendered to the influence and the voice of the Spirit of God. There was, there was no YouTube, there was no globalization, that hadn't been a thing. You know, they didn't have access to good preaching often, they needed the Holy Spirit. And so, here, here's the thing, today, we're in a bit of a different context in the Western church world. We have our seminaries, we have our comforts of the Western world. We have access to the best Bible teaching online for free, which is good. There's a place for all of that stuff. A lot of it's awesome. But what's happened and what can happen to you is we fall prey to this reality of we don't really need the Spirit's power because of all of these resources that we have. And this is why the church is not winning in regard to marriage and family and culture, and we're not living into mission because we've lost this, guys. We have lost the reality of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We, we just think, man, we can do this whole thing without the Holy Spirit. Like, we can, we can do this. We can, you know, get a preacher that can say some good stuff, some nice worship, a nice environment, and we can do what Jesus has called us to do, right? And we, 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 we hear that, and we're like, no, we don't actually believe that, but are we really living desperate for the presence, the manifest power and person of God to move among us? And so, and so this is the reality. And here's the thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know we've talked about this before, but this is worth mentioning again. The question question is when do you actually receive the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus? And so you've got two main camps within the, co the context of, uh, you know, Orthodox Christianity. And you've got one camp, this is more Reformed theology and conservative Christian camps that would say, you receive the Spirit at the moment of confession. So you confess in Jesus, and then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got Paul who says you were sealed with the Spirit when you believed. And so they point to texts like that. And then they say, there's nothing to be, there's no more to be received of the Spirit, you get everything when you're saved, okay? And then you've got the second camp, this is more Pentecostal uh, camps of Christianity that say, no, you receive the Spirit as a second act of grace, totally separate from conversion that's evidenced by tongues and prophecy, and so if you don't speak in tongues, you don't prophesy, you're not actually filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing, you wanna know where our church comes out on the issue? Right in the middle. And this is where you're gonna find Jesus, guys, often. And he is in the middle. We don't follow a doctrine. We follow a person and his name is, help me somebody, Jesus. And so this is a reality, right? You've got both realities present in the Bible. You've got Paul saying you're sealed with the Spirit at the moment you believe. Why? Because it requires the Holy Spirit to actually confess Jesus. You wanna get born again? It requires you being filled with the Holy Spirit. It requires God moving on you from his Spirit to actually give you the gift of repentance and allowing you to choose God who has already chosen you. But at the same time, what are you gonna do with Acts 8, bro? Like, why are they going to Samaria and laying hands on these guys to see them filled with the Spirit if they'd already received the fullness of the Spirit? Like, why? that doesn't make any sense. So you need to wrestle that to the ground. Now, here's the question. How do you know if you've received the Holy Spirit? How do you know if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you some questions here. Are you growing in love for God right now? Are you living victorious over sin in your life? Are you living a life of effective witness for Jesus to the world around you? Do you see the power of God in, around, and through your life? If your answer is no to any and all of those questions, I would submit to you that you have yet to experience the baptism of the Spirit or are a great candidate to get rebaptized in the Holy Spirit, which is also very Bible. Ephesians, what does Paul say? Don't get drunk on wine, but be continually filled 
with the Holy Spirit. So what do you do? Man, come up after church. Let's lay hands on you and let's pray for you and let's see God fill you with the Spirit and do something amazing in your life. And so back to the text. Okay, so we've got Simon and, and he's seeing all of this happen. He's seeing the laying on of hands and the baptism of the Spirit thing. And, and here's the thing, guys. This was not like, you know, Peter, John showed up and they laid hands on people and they were like, oh, I felt a touch from God. Like it's literally like something powerful and crazy is happening. Look at verse 19. It says, uh, give me this power also, says, Simon, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, he says, like, I'll give you money, Peter and John. Give me this power so I can lay my hands on other people. I want this power. And this is crazy, right? Something big was actually happening in the life of the person that was receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at Peter's response. This is so intense. Verse 20 to 23, wrapping up here. Peter says this, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours. We really don't like that. And pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So basically, Peter goes gangbusters on this guy. I mean, listen to what he says to Simon. He's like, may you perish with your money. Your heart is not right before God. You're wicked. You need to be forgiven. You're bitter and you're enslaved to sin. Welcome to church, ladies and gentlemen, right? Like, that's brutal, bro. Peter just goes gangbusters on this dude. And essentially he's saying, Simon, you know what, you know what Peter's saying? Simon, Simon, you are under the judgment of God. That's what he's saying right here in Acts chapter eight. This is not me saying this. Don't be mad at me. This is literally Peter saying, Simon, you are under the judgment of God. And we don't like the judgment of God, which is so ironic because we're like the most judgment pe- judgmental people on the face of the planet. Case in point, your social media platforms, okay? Need I say more? And so this is so ironic because you judge God who created you, but you can't you, you, you judge God who created you, but, but you, can, you, you can judge other people. It doesn't make any sense, and he can't judge you. You judge God for judging others. It doesn't make any sense. But the reality is what the Bible and what D- Jesus teaches, and this is why you need to take him seriously, man, this is why Jesus can never be reduced, guys, to this nice guy that said some stuff that lived a long time ago that was all about loving other people. Do you honestly think the religious and political establishment of Jesus' day killed him because he was a nice guy that was all about getting you to love your neighbors yourself? No! Why did they kill him? It's because he said stuff like, yo, what's up, everybody? I am Yahweh. I am God in the flesh. You are under the judgment of God. And unless you come by me, you will not experience reconciliation to the God of the universe. You are wicked and you need to be forgiven. And my cross, my resurrection, ascension has made a way for you to be brought back in right relationship with God. I am the only singular way. I am the only singular truth. I am the only life. Nobody comes to him except by me. It is a narrow path. Anyone that would come to God has to come by. That's why they killed him, guys. This is why you cannot reduce Jesus to a good teacher that said some stuff. Either he's an absolute lunatic, and you should never give him a second thought again, who's led billions of people throughout human history astray, or he really is the God of the universe, and you owe him everything. But no way can we reduce Jesus to this this guy that we celebrate at Christmas and Easter a couple times a year and then move on with our lives. You just cannot deal with it. Let me be very clear with you and plead for your soul for a second. Every single person in this room and watching online, if you have not given your life to Jesus and repented of sin, you are under the judgment of God. 
This is what Jesus is, this is, this, is, this is the message of Christianity, right? This is what happens. The first movement of the gospel is it condemns you before it saves you. It strikes you down before it lifts you up. You are in the Simon category. There's only way, one way out. And here's the good news. It's not by trying hard. It's not by you being a good enough person. You getting your life cleaned up and doing all of this stuff and then you coming to Jesus. There's only one way out and his name is Jesus. And he is king. And he's king over the sin of your life. He's king over the brokenness of your life. He loves you and his arms are open to you today. And here's what's so beautiful about Jesus, man. And this whole thing, you missed it. It slipped in right underneath your nose. Look again with me at verse 20. May you perish with your money because you thought you could obtain the what? The gift of God with money. This is so beautiful, right? This is, Peter's like, man, this is why you're wicked, Simon, because you thought this whole forgiveness and eternal life and Holy Spirit stuff had to be earned by you. You can't earn it. You're such a disaster. Like nothing you can do, there's nothing you can do to get yourself in right standing with God. You are hopeless if this is all up to you. And this is the good news of Jesus is you're hopeless, but Jesus came to give you a hope. Simon is stuck in the very essence of the religious system, man, which is very different from Christianity. Religion says you have to make yourself right with God. You have to be a good person, try harder, do better. Ultimately, you continue to screw that up. And so you live in this cycle of suck and condemnation. But the way of Jesus is not hop up on the religious treadmill and try harder. The gospel is Jesus on the cross says what? It is finished. It's done. There's no, so you can stop living, man. Like more has to be done. Jesus says, I did it all. So, and so here's the problem, man. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, if you don't learn to start where Jesus finished, you're going to spend the rest of your Christian life trying hard. It is finished. And that's on offer for everybody in the room, man. The question is, how do you get on it? Verse 22, look at this. Peter says this, everybody's favorite word, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. We hate that word repentance, but, but here's, here's what repentance is, guys. You wanna know what it is? It's letting Jesus take your judgment. That's essentially what, that's what repentance is. It's saying, Jesus, I deserve the judgment of God. I humble myself under the, that reality. I messed up, but I ask you to forgive me and to take my judgment with you on the cross, to lay it in the tomb and give me newness of life. That's what repentance is. I've heard it said uh, of the old boys that you know, they were a lot crazier than we are today. They said this, repentance is to leave the sin I've done before and to show that I in earnest grieve by doing it no more. In other words, repentance is not saying a nice prayer and then you move on with your life and you get fire insurance and you continue to do whatever you want, right? And, and you continue to live in realities that Jesus died and paid for with blood on the cross. But Jesus actually has to become Lord of your life, meaning he gets to redefine everything about your life, how you live, how you think, what you do, your sex life, how you spend your money, how you spend your time. Jesus becomes Lord of your life. And that's on offer for every single person in this room. Would you go ahead and stand with me? I wanna give you an opportunity to get in on that today, man, because Jesus paid a high price so he could save you and forgive you and heal you and fill you with his spirit. And if you're in this room this morning and you're saying, that's me, man, I've got sin on me and God is moving on my heart. I'm convicted of this reality and I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. Come into his heavenly embrace I recognize he's, who, he's the one I've been looking for. I'm looking for power in all of these realities and they're ultimately all going to fail me. 
I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you just go ahead and raise your hand? I wanna pray for you before you get out of here. Just take a bold stand. You're saying, I'm ready to surrender everything to Jesus. God bless you, man. Can we give a crazy shout for this guy? Anybody else? Anybody else saying, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to surrender everything. This is the most important decision that you will ever make in your entire life, man. Get out of the category of Jesus is a good teacher that said some good stuff. Heaven and hell are in the balance and what you do with Jesus dictates eternity. Not just this life, but eternity. He is the only way. Anybody you wanna surrender your life to Jesus today, I would love to pray for you and celebrate you today. The Bible says all of heaven throws a great big party over one person that repents. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you, God. We thank you for the reality of the good news of the kingdom of God, that you are, your heavenly kingdom is advancing among and through us, Lord. We thank you for the good news. We thank you, Jesus, that you've defeated Satan, sin, death, and hell on our behalf. And Lord, that we get to walk out of here as your people, free from guilt, shame, condemnation, and regret, full of the righteousness of Jesus, God, walking in power to minister to the world around us. God, I pray that we would continue. Teach us how to be a people, Holy Spirit, that live yielded to you everywhere we go. And would you use us to get a name for yourself here in this county, God? I pray that you bless your people in the name of Jesus, everybody said. Amen. Hey guys, if we can pray for you, please come up. We're gonna have a prayer team off to my left, your right. Uh, we would love to do that. We're gonna have New Song 101 kicking off over here in a few minutes. If you're brand new here, we'd love to have you for that baptism class. Come over here as well. Uh, if you've decided to give your life to Jesus today, or you want more information, please come up and we would love to chat with you. Otherwise, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next Sunday.